Welcome to another edition of Face It, You're Afraid. I like to start with the usual disclaimer. I'm not a medical doctor, a counselor, a therapist. I am none of those things. I am a communication professional sharing some experience that I hope will be helpful to you. Now, if you need more professional help, please go seek it. I'm just here doing my podcast. Okay, let's get started. I dreamed of visiting Australia. I love koalas. I love kangaroos. I love Australians in general. I'm Texan, and many of my Aussie friends remind me of the best Texans I know. They're confident, fun-loving, adventurous, and they tell you like it is. For years, I thought about the things I'd do if I could get over my fear so I could visit Australia. And as is the case with so many things... I discovered that it is a more amazing continent than I ever expected, and I only saw a fraction of it. I love Sydney, but I also love Melbourne, and I love Canberra, and those were the three cities I was able to visit. They're all incredibly diverse in different cities, but they all have so many things to offer. Now, when I go back, you know, I want to see the outback, I want to go to the Gold Coast, I want to go to Bris Vegas, as my friends call it, I want to see the western side of the continent, and I know eventually I will get there again. Oh, I even want to see Tasmania. Okay, I digress. The reason I bring up Australia is because during all those times I thought about visiting there, I would think about the Sydney Harbour Bridge. I wondered what it was like to actually climb it, to feel and see the view from the top. And by the way, when you're at the top, you're 41 stories high, so it's not a little climb. I thought about all those things knowing that I had a double whammy. I had a fear of flying and a fear of heights. But like so many things I've talked about during this podcast, I've been determined to conquer the fears, or at least reconquer them so that I can live a better life. So when I finally got the chance to go to Australia, I was determined I was going to climb that bridge while I was in Sydney. And I had been so busy leading up to the trip that I didn't plan ahead. And my time in Sydney was pretty brief. I had a speaking engagement the day after I arrived, and then the day after that, I was headed to Melbourne. And I remember it was springtime there. It was November, and the the weather was mild. It was really nice, but it was also stormy. So the one afternoon I could climb the bridge, thunderstorms were rolling in and out of the city. And to be honest, I was devastated. I was still scared, but I was devastated. And I also wondered if I was making up that devastation because I really, really didn't want to climb the bridge after all. I really hadn't planned, and I knew this was it. And either the storms were going to stay and I'd not be able to climb, or I'd be doing it on a really drab day. At some point during that day, I decided all of this bad weather, all of these things, it's a sign. It's like pushing me toward doing it. You know, if you really want to get over your fear, you do it when the conditions aren't ideal either, right? The desire to do something on my bucket list outweighed my fear. And so I went online 
I was able to book one of the remaining spots on a climb late that afternoon. And I had one other thing going on. I'd not told many people about it, but it was rather debilitating at the time. I had rheumatoid arthritis. I can't say the word as long as I've had it. Rheumatoid arthritis. At the time, I didn't know that's what it was yet. What I knew is that I was having a lot of inflammation, especially in my legs. Um, they didn't they didn't look bad. They looked normal, but I would have tremendous pain in my joints. Um, and it was hard to just even walk, much less consider climbing something. At the time, I thought maybe something else was going on, and I was under a lot of stress at the time between my job and a volunteer leadership role I had taken on and a couple of other things. Um, and as I'm also known to do, I just keep going, even when I'm in pain, even when I'm in sick. It's a stupid thing to do. I don't recommend it. But during that time, I remember being in pain a lot, and I just kept plowing through thinking, well, I'll see a doctor when I get past all of this other stuff I'm working on. And I think I mentioned before in a previous podcast that I don't like to take pain meds unless I absolutely have to. So I wasn't really taking anything for the inflammation and the pain. I just, I just plowed through it. Um, and also during this trip, I'd picked up some kind of nasty throat infection while I was traveling. I'd been in Asia, and then I felt the infection coming on while I was flying to Sydney. And again, I kept pushing through. Although I do remember telling my, my dear friend when I got to Melbourne that I needed to see a doctor, which I did. Uh, and it was a good thing I did because I had a heck of an infection in my throat. So let's tally it up. It was a cruddy, windy day, humid weather, threatening to storm. Every part of my legs were aching and my throat felt like it had razor blades in it. But you know what? I had to climb that bridge or I would regret it for the rest of my life. So I did. The weather broke long enough for me to do it. Now, the worst part is not being on top of the bridge. The worst part is getting there. When you start, you're underneath the bridge where you can look down at the cars traveling over the water below. You're still pretty high at this point. Um, but when you look down, you're seeing all this stuff. And I, I don't remember if this is true. I would have to ask someone who lives there. But I remember the bridge shaking at one point and there being noise. And I don't remember if that was from uh, vibrations from the traffic going under, um, you know, on the road that went under the bridge, or if there was a train nearby. What I remember is, is that me and the four other climbers in my group, uh, and we were with a guide, by the way, uh, we were walking on this scaffolding, for lack of a better word, um, that's about 20 meters long. And you can see through it, so it's kind of like steel mesh. Um, and of course, that terrified me. Uh, so I just kept listening to our guide, who was telling us about the history of the bridge and what we were about to do, and I just didn't look down much. I kept looking ahead. Now, there are places on the bridge where you have to crouch down a lot, and I mean a lot. You kind of scrunch your body down and you work your body through these smallish space, spaces between these huge steel bridge spans. And then you climb some very steep stairs. Um, and you do this a few times to work your way around and around until you get to the top of the bridge. Now I gotta tell you, those moments scared the heck out of me because again, you can look down and you can see what's below you. 
you feel like you're so high up and you're not even halfway there. I'm telling you this from the perspective of someone who was terrified at the time. I learned a lot that day by climbing that sucker. <laughs> For people who don't share the same fears, I'm sure it doesn't seem like a big deal. It's probably just another fun adventure. But to me, it was one of the most monumental things I had done at the time. And by the way, it wasn't that long ago. Now, as an aside, those tours are great. The organization that runs Sydney Bridge Climb is amazing, and your guides are amazing, and you are very safe. In fact, you are tethered the entire time. If you somehow slipped, you wouldn't fall down and kill yourself. Um, now, they told me of stories where people got so scared they froze and couldn't move, and they had to bring some more tour guides in to literally carry people back to the main building next to the bridge. But um, but that didn't happen to me, and it, it wouldn't, you know, point being, you can't really get hurt on this thing unless you try really hard. Um, but I will tell you this, too. When you're scared, that tether isn't really of very much comfort to you. So when you get to the top, after all the things I described before, you can't look down any longer. You can only look outward where you can see all the beauty. You see the harbor and the boats going by and the Sydney Opera House, and you look back another direction behind the Sydney Opera House, and you look back toward the city of Sydney and all the tall buildings. Um, you look another direction, you see these rolling hills with some beautiful homes on it. I mean, it's really something else, right? Um, the other thing you do is that you look up. You can no longer look down, but you can look out and you look up. And at the top, you know, now you're headed toward the peak, you can see the Australian flag, and that's actually a very gratifying sight because you realize at that point, okay, I'm really going to make it. I'm almost there at this point. And, and the final steps that you take are not that steep. Um, it's actually pretty easy. And it's, like I said, incredibly gorgeous. I remember being in pain and feeling so sick because I had been nervous, but I just kept smiling. The wind's howling, not a great day. And I'm just grinning from ear to ear because I realized I had, I had just about conquered it. You know, at that point, because it was threatening to rain, I was sticky, my hair looked like Medusa, it was wild and flying in the wind. Um, it was just a really crazy experience. But the other climbers were lovely. There was a couple from Australia, and then there was a couple who was visiting from France, uh, and they were all really nice. They knew I was terrified, and so they were very kind to me. The point being that here are these five strangers plus our guide um, sharing this amazing experience, and you kind of bond in that moment. It's pretty cool. Now, I'm telling you about this climb because I faced two fears at once, in bad weather, and I was sick, but I did it anyway. You know, and when we got to the top, and we took pictures, and we were ready to go back down, I found out that we had to walk across the top of the bridge to go back down on the other side. And I remember in that moment, I was like, uh... What? So this is the moment I truly realize that I've now got to walk across an open, open scaffolding mesh steel thingy to get across to the other side of the bridge so we can start back down. And at that point, after all I had done, suddenly I was afraid again and I wasn't really keen on walking across that scaffolding. Uh, and I think part of it was that's when I realized, okay, we really are at the top. We really are 41 stories high. Uh, and when you're looking out at the scenery, it doesn't seem that high. But when you look down, then you realize just how high you are. 
So at that moment, I thought, well, my heart's going to jump out of my chest. I'm not sure how I'm going to do this at this point. But then the guide said to me, hey, do you want a short video to take home and share with your friends? Now, let's recap. My legs hurt. I look like crud. Uh, it's getting ready to rain again. Um, you know, everything, I'm, I'm just basically a mental mess too. But, you know, I didn't fly all the way to Australia and I didn't make that climb at much mental peril for myself to leave without a video souvenir. So I said, heck yeah, I want the video. And all of a sudden I forgot about being afraid and being the ham I am, I walked right out on that scaffolding right in the center uh, and she recorded my fun 10, 10 second video. And the really cool thing she did is right before that video ends, she swings the camera around away from me and pans it down really fast. So you can see just how high up we are. And just when you do it that quickly, it looks significant. Um, and I was so happy to have that video. Now, because she did that, I was again happy and I kind of forgot about being afraid. And of course I walked across the scaffolding. You know, you have to go down the same steps that you went up on the way down. You have to crouch down again through the same metal um, beams and stuff that you did before, but it's a heck of a lot easier once you realize you've already conquered the bridge. So when it was all over and I was back in my street clothes, my legs were shaking so badly. Um, I could barely stand. I, I was just, I couldn't comprehend what I had just done. The lactic acid in my muscles was just, it was doing a number on me. I was happy and I was exhausted and I was on a high like I have not experienced in a really long time. So I got my video, got our group photo, and of course I went to the gift shop and got all the touristy stuff, my sweatshirt, and all the things that you want to have. And then I remember just sitting in the lobby of the bridge climb place for, I don't know, God, it seemed like an hour because I was just trying to process everything that had just happened. Um, and eventually I got in a taxi, made my way back to my hotel, and I remember I was trying to go to bed early because I had to get on a plane and travel again the next morning, but I, I couldn't sleep and it was howling outside. At this point, the storm had come in. It's dark outside. The rain is battering against my hotel window. It's very windy. Um, and But I was just elated. Nothing scared me at this point. So I remember sending copies of the virtual video or the or the digital copy of the video uh, and, and pictures to all of my friends back in the U.S. Now, there's a 15-hour difference between where we were in Australia and um, the central part of the United States. So I was, you know, texting them messages at like 3, 4 in the morning their time, which my husband in particular didn't appreciate, but whatever. I still wanted to show everybody what I had done. Um, and then after I did that, I thought, okay, what was this really all about? And in the end, all of those obstacles were not at all obstacles. Despite everything that was going on with me, I wanted it badly enough. And the fear was really about myself. It, you know, it's almost, it's like being afraid of yourself. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, so I guess the reason I shared this story with you is to think about, are you afraid of yourself? Are there things that you have built up in your head that keep you from seeking, whether it's your career success or some personal goal, is there something that inside you that you're afraid of? Because that really is being afraid of yourself. And that will keep you from doing so many things in your life. 
And my bridge climb was a perfect example of that for me. And you probably have examples of that in your own life. So think about that for a minute. Okay, let's uh, focus on the self-fear thing. There are many things that can cause us to be afraid of ourselves. And sometimes how we want others to perceive us can sometimes make us afraid of ourselves. Stay with me on this one. I think it's going to make sense to you. Here's an example. If you're on social media at all, the channels you choose are based in part on your age. Let's be honest. Younger people tend not to be on Facebook at all, and in fact, many perceive it to be, in air quotes here, for older people. Okay, boomer. And for those of you who are boomers, don't lose it. I'm joking. Anyway, could be another social channel, but let's, let's use Facebook for now. You may have had discussions with your friends, as I have, about how some people work so hard, consciously or subconsciously, to make their lives look great to others on the, all those public forums. A friend of mine said, I wish my life were as fabulous as it looks on Facebook. And I laughed, but I knew it was true. And I knew that several years ago, I was doing the same thing. Maybe not consciously, but of course I was doing it. Publishing all the great vacations and oh, look at all the things I'm doing. Who cares, right? Honestly, who cares? Now I look at it and think it's kind of funny, but let's be honest. Most women will not post ugly selfies in any social media. Maybe some guys too. I know I won't. I mean, there, I said it. Every now and then I will post a rather plain or a downright hideous picture just to keep it real. Now, I don't spend that much time on Facebook anymore, but I'm on Instagram and it's owned by Facebook. Oh my God, we cannot get away from Facebook. Okay, I digress. Point being, I'm not going to post ugly stuff. I'm not going to post something about, you know, I had a fight with my husband or I had a, you know, whatever it is. I'm not going to tell you all the bad things in my life. Now, we all know people who are like that. There are some people who post nothing but negative stuff. And I think that personally, I think that's a whole different kind of attention seeking. But again, uh, I'm not a therapist, so I can't really go there. But the point is, some people post things on social media for the love of it, or to share anniversary things or special times in their life, or to be funny. I used to do that because I love to write and I genuinely enjoy making my family and friends laugh about the absurdities of life. But I'm guilty, and millions of other people are guilty, of showing you what we want you to see, because let me be honest, we want you to like us. Maybe we don't like ourselves. Sometimes we're deathly afraid of being with ourselves. You may know people like that. You may be that person. You really need to be liked and admired. Maybe you have trouble being alone. I grew up kind of like an only child. I have two brothers who are 13 and 15 years older than me. So they were out of the house by the time I was, I don't know, five or six years old. And because of that, I learned to be happy being alone. 
Um, and don't get me wrong, I had a lot of childhood friends, but I also had a very vivid imagination. I'm a creative person, always have been. And so I was perfectly happy creating and playing by myself. I still am. Um, but there are some people who can't do that. And there are some people who are so afraid that you might find out who they really are, whatever that means. Again, probably some made-up thing that we do to ourselves. I keep hoping that during this pandemic that we're enduring is that we're all learning to throw out whatever artificial handbooks we were living by before this happened. You know, you hate wearing makeup. You hate doing your nails every two weeks. Sorry, guys, I'm talking to the women here. Okay, go natural. That's cool. If you're like me and you like getting dolled up, then keep doing it. I get dressed sometimes and put on makeup even when I'm not even going to be on a video call because it makes me feel better. That's just me. That's one of my insecurities. Whatever. Uh, makes me happy. You know, you have to figure out how to define success for yourself. And right now, what a prime time to do that. The biggest thing here is, is that you shouldn't be afraid of what other people think. This is your path not theirs. You know, you want to stay right where you are? That's okay too. If you're somebody in your career who doesn't care about being promoted and you're happy in the job you have and you just want to do that, that is awesome. That doesn't make you any less of anything else. It's perfect for you. Keep doing that. Or if you do want to get promoted or you do want to do something else in your life, then go for it. But you got to get over being afraid of yourself and what other people think if that's what's causing that artificial fear because otherwise you're never going to go anywhere, right? The way, I, the way I think about it is, and you've heard this a million times, right? We're all works in progress. Well, of course we are. That's part of the aging process. That's part of how we learn. I feel like it's never too late to pursue yourself. Now, if you want to do some extra credit reading, check out the author Glennon Doyle Melton. She's been featured with Oprah Winfrey on her Super Soul Sunday television program. She's got some best-selling books. She's given a great TED Talk called Lessons from the Mental Hospital. I bring up Miss Melton because she talks about how inauthentic most people are. But not because they want to be deceptive. They're just afraid to be real. You might find value in help in reading her books or seeing her speak. Or you might find other authors or other experts who are like her. For me, being real means not being afraid of being yourself. And whatever it is that made you afraid of yourself, you can work on getting rid of it. You can shut it. And I guarantee you, you're going to feel so much better. Now, you might lose a few friends in the process because you're no longer surrounding yourself with people who are the same. But were those people genuine friends to begin with? I mean, you really have to think about that. Here's what happens when you stop being afraid of yourself. You learn to say no. That was a hard one for me to learn, but I learned it about 22 years ago and it changed my life. You do not have to say yes to everything at work or in any other part of your life. Now, I know that there are some things in your life that you have to do because, I don't know, they're integral to your job or they're integral to your relationships at home or maybe you're raising children and you have certain obligations there, uh, whatever it might be in your life. 
at the same time, there are things that you might be saying yes to now that purely benefit other people, not you. And you need to think hard about that. How many things have you done in your career or other parts of your life just to ensure that certain people will like you or you think they're going to like you more? But the truth is they benefit. You don't. And what you may think may not be what's actually happening. It's a false narrative. You know, someone could take advantage of you and they'll keep doing it. And you'll keep trying to please and trying to make them happy and trying to make them like you. You don't need that. You're great just as you are. They're the sheep, not you. Now, no offense to real sheep because they're adorable. I love sheep. I just don't care so much for sheeple who travel in packs because they reinforce each other's poor behavior. And maybe you feel that way too. Now, when I talk about not doing certain things, I don't mean selfless acts, things you do to be kind, to help those less fortunate, or those going through a painful time. I'm talking about things you've done because you thought you had to, but you really didn't. Let that stuff go, man. Let it go. It is okay to set boundaries, and it's okay to do it at work. It's okay to do it with people you love, and it's okay to do it with others who are part of your life. Stop being afraid, especially of yourself. That is coming from nowhere but deep inside you. You can set boundaries when it's appropriate, and I'm telling you, you will be happier, and you might actually be more productive and more successful. I know that was the case for me when I started setting boundaries. You will allow more time for the things you love, and you'll definitely be more comfortable in your own skin. When you're not afraid of yourself, you know when it's okay to ask for things. You are worthy. You can ask for what's right to make your life better, to be happier or more fulfilled. And it's all there in front of you. It always has been. You just have to ask. If you're a top performer in your job and you're genuinely a good person to others in your life, you're going to be surprised how your requests are generally received. You will be amazed, in fact. Now, if you ask for what's right or what you really need or want and people react strangely, it might be because they're used to taking from you more than they are used to you setting boundaries or you saying, you know what, I'm not going to do that. And here's what I need instead. So you got to think about that too. It only takes a time or two of seeing what it's like when there's some give and take in your life. And you'll see how great it is to be unafraid of yourself. I hope this winding chat has given you something new to consider. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe be well, and find your own bridge to climb on your way to being unafraid of yourself. Take care. Mm-hmm.